us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to come here in this place that you've given us to come and worship you and to gather together your children, loving you, seeking you, and finding you, which is your promise. We thank you for helping us to grow in our relationship and our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ today and that we may not leave this place the same as we came, but we will be edified and built up in our souls in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been learning about the land of promises that Jesus has brought us into through salvation. Amen? We correlated this to the old covenant, which is always in types and shadows of the new covenant revealed. Amen? Joshua, Moses handed things over to Joshua. Moses was a picture of the law. Joshua was a picture, a type and shadow of Jesus. Moses did not lead the children of God into the promised land. God gave him a reason is that he did not honor him when he struck that rock twice. But I'll tell you, he never would have led the children of Israel into the promised land because it would have confused you. He is a picture of the law. And the law will never, ever do what the Spirit of God has done. Amen? You will never get into the kingdom of God by your own efforts, by keeping the law, by doing good and getting good. Joshua led the children in just as Jesus is our leader into not a promised land, but a land of promises, I say. Because God has given us his great and precious promises as laid out in Second Peter, the first chapter. And by those, we become partakers of his divine nature. Amen. In other words, as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, things are multiplied to us through that knowledge and through that understanding of his word. We become partakers. In other words, we learn who we are. Through this word, this word is alive and active. It's not a book written by men about God, but a book written by God to you. It is amazing. He told Joshua, I'll just revisit this in the first chapter. He, he told Joshua, I will not leave you or forsake you. There's a promise. I want to help you to learn to read the Bible and to grasp hold of the promises as you cross them and make them your own. Amen? First thing he said in Joshua 1.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. You hear it again in the Gospels. Be strong and courageous. So there's a promise. There's an instruction. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, he tells them again. This is a contingency. You see, we can frustrate the grace of God. We can interfere with God's work in our lives. And fear is one of the things that hinder God. So anyway, he continues to tell Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be very strong. Be courageous. Being careful to do all that is in this book of the law. 
Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. That's what we talked about last week, promise of God about having good success and prospering. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This is our testimony. This is our speech. But you shall meditate on it. This is getting out to our soulish realm, our personality, our mind, our will, our emotions. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do. Again, there's something for us to do. All that is written in it. For then... For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God's saying, if you will just do it my way, I guarantee prosper and have good success. Have I not commanded you? And he tells him again, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Lots of promises, lots of instructions too, isn't there, in that passage of Scripture. Do you believe the promises of God that pertain to you? Because your believing is essential, Tom. Your believing is essential to your having. There's a, a direct relationship correlation with the original words for believe and obey in the original text. If you believe, in other words, you will do. You're going to act upon your beliefs. If I believe that I, I got a ticket last week. If I believe that I passed that cop on the right side of their shoulder there going 80, he will give me a ticket. That belief is going to cause me to do something, isn't it? If I'm traveling 80, what? I'm going to hit that brake. For no other reason except I really believed that there would be a consequence. You see, I wasn't going that fast. As a matter of fact, it's very interesting because he said it was on the, the beltway on the east side over by. Pasadena, I'm not used to, but over there, our speed limit is higher. It's 60 over there, which I think is criminal. And I was going, he says 75. The ticket says 74, and my truck has a little thing. My wife pushed, and it says the high speed for that trip was 71. Hmm. Nevertheless, I was speeding even if I was going 71. So I'm going to take the driver's uh, education thing, which I never have, and, and I should be able to to get free of that. Amen? Okay, so I don't want to get off track here because I've got important message for you. This is going to help you today. It's, I'm going to give you a couple of keys to the kingdom of God that are really going to help you and maybe help you to sort something out that is really confusing to many Christians and to the body of Christ and really to the world who accuses a lot of Christians for, for things. And so let's see if we can sort through this for a minute. But there is a direct relationship between believing and obedience in, in the Word of God. And now we don't need to think of our obedience as something that's going to earn relationship with God. Jesus has provided that. If Jesus, 
has, if, it, if God has not done it for Jesus, he's not going to do it for you. So our works are just as filthy rags to God when it comes to what Jesus has provided. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. It's a free gift. But there are things that we can do to cooperate with God in this life and participate in, in the things that he has put into place for us to prosper and benefit from. Amen? And that's what we're learning about today. Remember, the grace of God has provided salvation and with it all the provision necessary for this life, as well as peace, love, joy, deliverance, forgiveness, and blessings with persecution. All by just putting our trust or releasing our faith toward what Jesus has done. The grace of God. So faith alone saves. But remember, saving faith is never alone. My wife would say faith has feet. <laughs> just like I said, if I believe, it's going to cause me to act on that belief. Amen? God has called us into a relationship with Him. And it is definitely a two-way street. We demonstrate our faith and our love for Him by obeying His teachings, His commands. Isn't that what He said? In John 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now there's a promise, isn't there? But there's also an instruction attached to it, isn't there? People don't like that. They say, oh, well, if I have to do anything, it's no longer grace. Well, listen, grace by itself will kill you. And faith alone will kill you. It's just like, have you ever heard of sodium? No, sodium by itself. Salt is sodium chloride. Sodium and chloride, and this is the right combination, common table salt, something you cannot live without. Apart, by themselves, they're poison, both of them, they kill you. That's how faith and grace are. If you, put, if you just wait on the grace of God to do everything for you, you're going to suffer for it, trust me. It's already been accomplished and provided for you. It's already in account, but unless you write the check, you're not going to ever benefit from the grace of God. And your faith, apart from the grace of God that Jesus has provided, it doesn't do anything. It's just vanity. Amen? Do you see in that? They have to be coupled together. Your faith has to be released toward the grace of God for you to land in that river of rest that Jesus has provided. It's, it's about prospering that I want to talk to you today. How many of you believe that God wants you to prosper? Okay, a few of you. By a show of hands, lest the rest of you just thought it was a rhetorical question, and I'll just accept that. <laughs> uh, well, let's just, let's just rest on this one scripture, and we'll just bounce off of this. 3 John 1, 2, everybody loves this scripture. And it says, in, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospereth. The King James is the one that you need for that scripture. 
but it's God's desire that you prosper. Amen? It says here, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. This is a third John 1 3, which is the next scripture. You don't hear this talked about very much. But the man that John was talking to, he was celebrating this man and his life in this letter and telling him he wishes that he prosper and be in health even as his soul is prospering. There's a correlation again. And in this next scripture, he's telling him that he came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. In other words, he was walking in the light provided by God's truth and it was causing him to prosper in his health and in his wealth. Amen. Oh my God. I apologize. <laughs> Tiffany asked me before and I told her I would tell her and I forgot to tell her. You're dismissed. We love you so much. God bless you. Sorry about that. <laughs> Should have thrown something at me. Hmm. You can stay too if you want. Praise God. Well, I, I think of uh, all the teachers that used to use erasers to deliver messages, you know. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Wish they would have done that to me. Nevertheless, we're, talk we're talking about 3 John 1, 2, and 3, where John was talking to this gentleman about his faith. And he was celebrating the fact that he was living in the light of God's word, and it was causing him to prosper in his health. And in his wealth. So it's God's earnest desire for you to prosper in every way in this life. You say, well, why doesn't he just make it happen? If that's his sincere desire, isn't he God? He can do anything. And if he really wants something bad enough, why don't he just do it for me? Well, remind me that you asked that question. I'm glad that you did. And I'm going to get back to that, okay? But first, I want you to think about something. I want you to I want you to honestly consider what you consider to be prosperity. In other words, when you hear the word prosperity, what's the first thing that pops to your mind? And now before you try to impress me by how holy you are, I mean, just by put everybody put your hands up. We'll include everybody for now. And put your hand down if money wasn't at least one of the considerations when you heard prosperity. Okay. All right. So we're being honest now because most people do think of money. I know that's not, you know, if you're a, a righteous person, that's not everything that you would call prosperity if you've matured a little bit. But prosperity usually correlates with money to us, doesn't it? You might say, well, health is very important and we can prosper in our health. And of course, it's very important that we do prosper in our health. But you see in that scripture we just read that even the Word of God puts health in a separate category in 3 John 1.3. So since we think about money, when we think about prosperity, let's talk about money for a minute, okay? Jesus talked about money a lot. He talked about it, as far as I can tell, about 37 times. Some people say he talked about money more than he talked about anything else. That's not true. Jesus' underlying theme is the kingdom of God and himself and the Father in prayer. But he talked about money a whole lot. 
He knows that it's something that we need and something that we use. But is money bad? Money is neither good nor evil. It's simply a tool. And 1 Timothy 6.10, the scripture says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But no, money is simply a tool. And how many of you have learned the value of having the correct tools to do every job? Man, I have. (laughs) It makes all the difference when you go to to do something. I mean, have you ever tried to to screw in a flathead screw with a Phillips screwdriver? (laughs) I mean, it's just not that easy to do. And then you bring a drill into the picture, and it, man, your life just got a thousand times better. One time I was driving back from Lubbock, Texas, when I was 18 years old. At that summer, I was driving back and forth from Houston to. I had to go Monday morning to be in Fort Worth, and then I would go anywhere they sent me, Lubbock, Amarillo. I had a brother in Lubbock, and so I would use that to save me a little money, and I had a car that wasn't that great. And I was just young and naive enough to think, you know, I could do all that, and it didn't. And uh, I was Superman, but I, uh, I wasn't very wise at the time. And, and that old car would leave me, and I would, I would work all day after, uh, after partying the whole night before that, and then that evening, the next day, try to hit the road to go <laughs> be back down here to Houston, <laughs> you know. And uh, I remember one night that so. Old car that I had, a Chrysler LeBaron, a 1981 model, I think. Uh, it overheated on me in the middle of nowhere on the way back from Lubbock. And I mean, this is West Texas where who knows? I mean, all you can see is black. There's not a, a town or a street light or even a farm light anywhere I could tell, just pitch black. Nevertheless, I it was uh, one of those top radiator hoses that you can actually get to pretty easy. And I was thankful for that, and uh, I had a, a screwdriver to get that uh, clamp off of there, and then I didn't have anything else, but I, I figured out that hose was a l- long enough I could really stretch it if I could get it, uh, get that bad part cut off, which was by the clamp, and so I found that old broken Coke bottle, and I cut on that thing for about an hour and a half with that glass to get that thing cut off and put back on there. And then finally, when I was all done, a policeman passed by, and he gave me a ride into the next town, which was about 10 miles away, to fill up a couple of jugs I had with water. <laughs> and then he took me back, and there I went again. But that was not a fun job, amen? I didn't have the proper tools to do that job. <laughs> I don't know what made me think about But <laughs> money makes life a lot easier, too, doesn't it? Money is something that we need in life. It's a tool, and we need tools. Um, How many of you, I would ask another question, how many of you like nice things? I get another rhetorical question. Well, I do too. I I like to be able to take my wife out for a nice dinner. We like to go on vacation. We don't get to that often because of time, but... We just went on a nice cruise uh, in uh, September. We're going to have to do something again because my brother passed while we were gone. And ever since then, I don't think we've slowed down a bit. My wife told me the other day she doesn't remember the cruise. So we're going to have to slow down a bit and go find something else to do. 
but we like Colorado too, and mostly we just really like going, you know, but it takes money to do that. I like baseball, and the Astros are starting up. I'm a season ticket holder, and it takes money to have a good seat to see the Astros, amen? I like being able to do things with our kids and for them, and I like having a house to live in, and I like having a dependable car to drive, and all of those things take money. So the problem is God doesn't give us money. What God gives us is the power to obtain wealth. That's what he says in Deuteronomy 8.18. And he gives us favor with men. And he has given us his great and precious promises and the spiritual law of sowing and reaping, hasn't he? So that we can get money. Money is a tool and it can do lots of things. It can buy you lots of things. But much more valuable to me are the things that I have that money cannot buy. Money can't buy you godly character. It can't buy you integrity. Only relationship with Jesus Christ can do these things for you. And if you ever get to the place where money ever gets in the way of those things that you need that money can't buy, then you need to manage your motives a little bit. Um, money can't buy you happiness. My wife, Tavana, might say that money can buy you coffee and whipped cream and marshmallows, and that's about the same thing, but it really can't buy you happiness, can it? <laughs> I thank God every day for my wife. I tell her so. I tell God so. Philippians 1.3 says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. And I've written that scripture in cards and letters to her for many years. She's my wife. She's my friend, my helper, and, and, and so much more. Amen? And money can't buy that for you. Money will buy you a house, but not a home. Money will buy you a companion, but not a friend. Money can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you a good night's sleep. If you have God, and you have His Word, you have His promises, and you believe them, and speak them, and live them, then you will have integrity, you will have sacrificial love in your heart, you will have faithfulness and peace, love and joy, a positive attitude and generosity. The things you have that money won't buy are the things that will enable you to get more of the things that money will buy. Amen? God's favor will begin to surround you as a shield, is what it says in Psalm 512. And then you will prosper and have success all the days of your life, wherever you go, just like he promised Joshua. Amen? Success is not something that the Christian should have to pursue, you see? Because the person you become, when you truly live the Word of God, will attract success to you because of the Christ in you. And it will chase you down and overtake you. 
Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And that those words that they used for that in the original text are very similar to someone chasing you down and tackling you. You see? How would you like for goodness and mercy to chase you down and tackle you every day for the rest of your life? That's a good thing. <laughs> Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All the things that the world stresses over and chases after and seeks. God knows you need things, and he's not opposed to you having them. He's the provider, as a matter of fact. God is not a cheapskate. The kingdom of heaven is very well ornate. Amen. The roads are not paved with gold. They are gold. Amen. <laughs> you see, only living God's way will we ever truly see prosperity and true success. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. That's that's that proverb 10:22. The blessing in, in the NIV, you know what it says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. I like that. Proverbs 8:18 8, that I read before, with me God says are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Those are God's words. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, there's a passage of scripture that we're familiar with that people read to you when it's time for giving. I want to talk about it some today. Paul says, and God is able to make, how many of you know that the, the number for grace is five? So, God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency and all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. Glory to God. Here's the key to Christian prosperity. If you write something down today, make it this, or go back and listen to the podcast anyway. You can listen on willbrocker.org or iTunes or Google Play or SoundCloud. It's all there for free. Amen. Here is a key to Christian prosperity, and if you'll get this, it will remove any wrong understanding that you might have, because true Christian prosperity isn't selfish. Christians who oppose prosperity do so because they associate it with greed. Mm -hmm. And no doubt, they have lots of reasons and cause because of unrighteous Christians who have been a bad witness. So there's lots of Christians who have gone shipwreck. I know many of them and destroyed their witness because of greed. So it's a real thing. But we can't throw the baby out with the wash. Amen? Because God does want you to prosper. First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. And it's not money itself, is it? It's that love, that that greed, that obsession with it that causes people to go shipwreck. True Christian prosperity, though, as this verse says in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, is given to us 
so that we will have enough to give to every good work. Isn't that what it says? So if we aren't able to give to every good work that we want to as a Christian, then the truth is we have not reached the level of prosperity that God has and wants for us. Amen? Do you believe that? Okay. Based on the way that I'm presenting it to you, it makes more sense, doesn't it? This is God's words. These are God's words, and this is His truth regarding prosperity, and this is also the truth regarding why people have gone shipwrecked and why some think so lowly of that term prosperity when it comes from a preacher's mouth, you see, because they've seen it uh, misused and misapplied. And many, many preachers are out there trying to build kingdoms unto themselves. There's no doubt about that. There are many, many good ones, too. Uh, I have a friend who is a law professor in Louisiana, and he was here. He's also a minister. He was here a couple weeks ago and called me, and we had lunch together. And he said, well, you know, it's been my experience, unfortunately, that I have met more lawyers with godly character than I have pastors. And I told him that was the saddest thing I'd ever heard, but I really had no basis to deny it. I could deny it for myself, thankfully. And I know that there are pastors and sheep out here who really love God and are seeking Him and want to grow the kingdom. And uh, and those are the ones that I'm interested in. Amen? And that's uh, what I believe all of you are. So here we are today learning about God's truth regarding prosperity. Ephesians 4.28 is another scripture that I like. It says, Let the thief... No longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, that's that's better, huh? This is saying don't be lazy. Hey, listen, get to work. you got to do something. God's giving you strength. God's giving you a brain. And you need to go out and you need to earn a living. You know why? So you can be a blessing to others. That's God's plan. God prospers us so we can bless others. So the person that has this understanding of biblical prosperity isn't selfish at all, are they? They want to prosper so they can be a blessing to others. And as the money flows through, there's always plenty for you. The sprinkler always stays wet, you see? So the person that says, oh, I don't need anything. God has given me enough. I will never ask him for more. They're really showing that they believe that the prosperity is for them. And with that thinking, it would be selfish to ask God for more money. But when you see that prosperity isn't for you, but so you can be a channel of God's blessing to others, then... The I have enough mentality becomes selfish. Are we getting this today? I just, all right. I just needed one amen to move on. That's good. So thank you. So as I always say, it's all about the motive. What's your reason for wanting to prosper? Is it all for selfish gain? Or do you really want to be a blessing to others? 
If God can get it through you, He'll get it to you. You know, I said something earlier. I said it's God's earnest desire for you to prosper in every way in life. And I heard you ask a question. <laughs> I said I'd get back to it. You said, well, if he really wants it so badly for me, why doesn't he just do it? If you didn't say it, you were thinking it. And I said I'd answer the question. And so let's just look at that for a second. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I want to tell you something. You ask God, why don't you just do it if you want to prosper me and bless me? And I want to tell you something. He's asking the same thing of you. He's saying, I have. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You can read that and go, spiritual this, in the heavenlies. Okay, that means when I get to heaven. So I'm just going to move on. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Two witnesses, Paul and Peter, compelled by the Holy Spirit, tell us that God has, perfect tense, already given us everything that we need. Everything for life, this life, and godliness has already been provided for us. But then they throw this stuff about the spirituality of it. So it's in the spiritual realm. Here's why many Christians never ever really venture into the land of promises that God has provided through the atonement. Because they don't realize that everything has already been accomplished on their behalf. We are three-part being. Spirit, soul, and body. And if you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, one-third of you has already been redeemed. Your spirit. Adam brought the spirit of iniquity into this world and everybody born since him has received it not because of anything you've done you were born with Satan's spirit in you when Jesus comes in you receive the gift of salvation that spirit is kicked out and the spirit of God comes in renews your spirit and seals it with the promised Holy Spirit of God incorruptible and perfect from now through all eternity in your spirit, you have the very mind of God, the nature of God, all the peace, love, and joy you will ever need in this life, you already have. You say, well, that sounds good, but it's just really ridiculous because I do not feel it. You can't feel your spirit. The only way you're going to know who you truly are now in that born-again spirit is by this word with the help of the Holy Spirit of God. Your soul, which is your personality, your mind, your will, and emotions, and your flesh were not redeemed at that time when you received your salvation. They are being renewed as you renew your mind through the washing of the word of God 
and you come into agreement with who you are by what God says about who you are now, then your mind is being transformed, your soul is being transformed, even as your spirit was, but it takes time. And then when your soul agrees with what God says is in your born-again spirit, this thing will just follow suit. Amen? You do not have to die sick. You're going to get older, but you don't have to get sick. Does God love you if you do? Yeah. That's okay. But I'm just telling you, we live short of our privileges, of our inheritance. There's a lot of things that God has provided through the atonement besides just the forgiveness of our sins and a promise to be with him in heaven when we get home, which is ultimately, if, if he didn't do anything else but that, that'd be fine with me. But listen, there's a lot more. There's a whole lot more. You are a different person now, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 16, and 17. says, from now on, therefore, this is Paul talking, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is another key. As Christians, our true identity and all of our potential lies in the spiritual realm. The Living Bible says that scripture like this. What Paul was saying here is that, listen, we, I quit judging people based on their physical appearances and on their capabilities I used to think of people like that. I used to think of Jesus like that. But now I don't. I see it for what it really is. And now, not, as only, not do I only see Jesus as God and as perfect in his character, but I see all of his children as having Jesus on the inside of them. And they don't even, they're not even aware of their potential now. The Living Bible paraphrases says, So stop evaluating Christians by what the world thinks about them or by what they seem to be like on the outside, once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, merely as a human being like myself, how differently I feel now. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. As Jesus said in John six sixty three, it is the spirit that quickeneth or gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak, he said unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So it's the spirit world and the spiritual man that is really important, not the flesh. Oh, are we making a connection here? I'm almost done. If a man's not saved, he is dead in spirit. It doesn't matter if he goes out and gets all the wealth of the world or all the power in his flesh. His spirit is dead and he is separated from God. As Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? In Mark eight thirty six. So when we're saved, there's a total change that takes place. It's not in our flesh or our soul, but in our spirit. It becomes totally new. 
And 1 Thessalonians 5.23, if you're looking for a place in the Bible that says that we're three-part being, you'll find it there, spirit, soul, and body. Your body and your personality, which is the soul, change. Don't, they don't change when you get saved, but your spirit does. And I mean, hopefully there's a little difference in your, in your mind. You know, you should have a more positive outlook. You should have hope now. But there's still all that old garbage that the world has put in here. You've been programmed incorrectly, downloaded by the world, and it has to be renewed by the washing of the word. So we don't instantly change in all the things that we want to, but we are growing in that direction as long as we're seeking the Lord. Amen? So when we, we, when we talk, if we were... You know, if we weren't so smart with math when we got saved, it's not going to change that day. You know, you didn't all of a sudden know calculus when you couldn't even do arithmetic before. <laughs> but, but these are things that we're, we're growing in. We have the very mind of Christ in our born-again spirit. The greatest difference between the New Covenant or New Testament, as some people would say, saints, and the Old Testament saints, is that now we have the indwelling presence of God living in us. It's something they were waiting for, and now we have. Believers are not living for the Lord like they did in the old custom in, in the old covenant. Now it's actually the risen Christ living through us. You see, and are wanting to, and that's the big difference. Amen. So now we need to learn to partake of the promises of God regarding us. And we do that by growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord through the Word. I'm trying to find a, a stopping point here. We never finish. We just quit and start again. Amen? Amen? I just want to go over this one scripture here. Because I want to talk about what, what we're, we're growing in. Which is learning how to be partakers and participate in the promises of God, make them our own and bring them out of the spiritual realm into manifestation where we can actually put them to use in this world at this time. Amen. So we look at this second Corinthians that I was talking about earlier, the ninth chapter starting with verse six, that the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Okay. This is a spiritual law. In the word of God put there for you. It's about sowing and reaping. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is talking about seeds. A natural example is with a, a farmer. You know, if you put in one or two seeds, you're not going to get a big harvest. But if you sow the whole field abundantly with, with, with seed, you're going to get a bigger crop. Amen. It just stands to reason. So God is looking in the spiritual realm and everything that we have is in seed form. Our love, our time, our money, everything is in seed form, and the same spiritual law applies, sowing and reaping. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God said, this is not like in old Malachi 3, it says, would you rob God, and, you know, and if, you don't, if, you don't, if you don't tithe and make your offerings, I'm going to curse you with a curse. Well, the same things may happen to your financial life because you're not trusting God, but God is not putting the punishment on you. See, when you don't trust God and you go apart 
When you go off the reservation, as it were, you what you're opening doors for the enemy to come in and to wreak havoc in your life. So it's the same kind of things happen, but it's not the same methodology that God is using to deal with us. Now it's we live in a time, this church age of grace and truth, and and uh, there's nothing like it. You should go back and read the old covenant just so you could go, Lord, thank you that I have been delivered from that. Amen. <laughs> so. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make, here's where it says again, all grace abound to you so that you're having all sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. So they're saying God is the one who supplies the seed. And by your giving, God is going to supply for your need. Amen. You will be enriched in every way, he says, to be generous in every way. There it is again. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God, which should always be the attitude of the Christian. For the ministry of this service, it's a ministry. Giving is a ministry, just like preaching is is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So Genesis 8.22, they're talking about this law. It says, While earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So that tells us that this is never going to change as long as we're here. It's a promise from God. It's a spiritual law. And it also does away with global warming, in case you didn't know. But... He says in Deuteronomy 8.18, unless we get puffed up when all these blessings come upon us, he's talking to the children of Israel as they went into the promised land. He knew what they were going to do. They would go in and they'd get all these things that he had provided, and then they'd forget about him, which they did time and time again. And we do the same thing. But he warns us against that in Deuteronomy 8.18. He said, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So we need to find out who we are in the spiritual realm. We need to take up our true identity in Christ. Christians, by its very, the word itself means little, little Christ. So that's who you are. And you need to take hold of your true identity and realize that you have all the peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that you're ever going to need right inside of you. And you just need to trust God and to draw on those things, confess those things over yourself. When you come into opposition to these things in your life, and you will probably today, to some of these things that I have preached, because the enemy comes immediately to steal this word from you. That's his job. He's going to try to distract you, try to get you to hear a different opinion on God's word, something uh, in opposition to this, or just get you busy and distract you so that it doesn't have time for you to meditate on it and get it down into your heart where it can take root and bear fruit in your life. Don't let him do it. When when the enemy opposes the truth that you have come into contact with through God's word, reject him and embrace the truth and speak it over your life. Speak it over your children, over your family, over your finances, over your body. In Jesus' name, 
the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ has come to earth and is now living in you if you've yielded your life to Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here today that is feeling compelled to give your life to Christ? Maybe you never have and you'd like to today. If that's you, raise your hand. Praise God. Praise God. We have a better covenant with better promises than those Old Testament believers did. We have Jesus now. They were waiting for him to come. He now lives inside of us. We have his life and ministry written in his word and on our hearts. We have his spirit. The King of Kings is living on the inside of you and he's trying to live through you. I would encourage you to begin letting him today. Amen. God has given you his child whom he loves. He's given you prosperity for your life. It's part of your inheritance as a child of God. You have truth. You have integrity. You have peace, love, and joy on the inside of you. And God's favor to and power to obtain the wealth that you need to be a blessing in this life and to accomplish all of the good things that he has written for you in his book. Amen? Just remember, it's for you to serve others and to be a blessing, and you will stay blessed for it. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you once again for this time to share in your word and to grow closer to you. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided everything that we need for life, this life, and godliness. That there is no good thing that you will withhold from those who love you. And that when we seek you earnestly, we will find you. Help us to lock on to all of your spiritual laws regarding us. The things you have put in place to help us and to benefit us. Help us to learn and to put our trust in the law of sowing and reaping so that we may reap an abundant harvest to do all of the good things that you lay upon our heart to do. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't mind us having nice things and enjoying life. You just don't want those things to have us. You want our motives to be about being a blessing and a giver and growing the kingdom of God and helping others and helping them to know you and that you will always provide for our needs. We thank you for loving us so much. It's in Jesus' name.